The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcasts where one of the hosts would never try a swim move because he won't get in the water. That's Lenny. Hates the water. I mean, really? oh, hates it. Hates it. If you okay. if we try to walk him oh. on the beach, he like walks diagonally away from the water. Then you try to go back and then he just keeps walking diagonally away from the water. It's hate is, he, is he like scared of it or he just yeah. doesn't like it? Oh, it's like fear. Well, he's from Alabama, as I've discussed often. So I think he just doesn't have a lot of exposure despite being an L.A. dog now. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about uh, Alabama football eliminated. Uh, by the time this comes out, by the time most people listen to this, my Washington Huskies will either be national champions or I'll be depressed yet again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of depressed. What's the last championship you had? Is it the Seahawks Super Bowl? Is that the last? Yeah. Yeah, championship you participated in. way before that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We'll see how it goes. I'm not nervous. Uh, I'm very nervous. Uh, okay. So, we're coming up week 18. The playoff field is set. Uh, later this week, I will do a preview of the wild card round with our friend, Bill Barnwell. Um, you and I are going to do sort of our extended winners and woofs. I figured we usually start with a winner. Dominique, but I but I want to start with a woof because this is kind of the news of the day. It's Black Monday, although really uh, not that many firings, mostly because some of them had already taken place. Obviously, um, the Panthers firing Frank Reich, the Raiders firing Josh McDaniels, um, and then the Chargers firing Brandon Staley. So now they are joined by the Commanders firing Ron Rivera and the Falcons firing Arthur Smith. I think of all of those firings. Arthur Smith is the only one that is a little surprised. That felt like one that at various points of the season could go either way. I think that final loss to the Panthers and then ultimately the no-show in week 18 or the loss in week 18 kind of sealed the deal for him. Dominique, I saw a stat. I was in our stats and info groups little thread on the topic that just blew my mind, which is that he had never won back-to-back games. As yeah, the coach. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. I didn't see the stats packet, but I saw it in uh, an article that I read about it, and that blew my mind. They said that he won. He'd lost three in a row a few times, but he had never won back-to-back games. That sounds impossible. Like how? It also sounds impossible given that they didn't like go. You know, they didn't only win two games. They walked. They, I think they went seven and ten, seven and ten, seven. And, so it really is kind of remarkable. I guess the, the the defense of him, and you saw this at points during the season, was, well, he doesn't have a quarterback. But And I think you could probably argue or question the role that he played in deciding to write it out with Desmond Ritter. But I think the reason this is merited and somewhat inevitable is that while quarterback was the single biggest problem on this team, um there were a lot of other really frustrating things about the offense. Most note glaringly the uh, inability to maximize the many skill players they've drafted in the first 10 over the last few years. This is an offense that um, this year is 25th in EPA per play 26 in DVOA regressed from last year when it was actually a, a very good, successful rushing attack, which brings me to my question for you. Is this a good job? <sighs> so most jobs are terrible 
So this one has some foundation. I, I feel like there are players to young, talented players to get excited about. And there is a bar that's fairly low to clear. Um, the question about is is about the quarterback. Can you manufacture some quality quarterback play out of the quarterbacks you have there, or can you attract another quarterback? And I, I think they're gonna keep Fontenot the the um general manager. So does he have a line on Justin Fields? This job gets a whole lot more attractive if you can make the Justin Fields thing happen. I will say about before, I, I, as you can tell, I'm like talking around whether I think it's a good job or not, but you have to compare it to the other jobs that are available. Right. But I will say that Arthur Smith, if you think that ownership matters in, in having success in this league, which I think it does, Arthur Smith falls in on the blank. on the positive side. Arthur Smith, yeah, Arthur Smith, a lot of Arthur Arthur's out of there, yeah, yeah. Arthur Blank, father, falls on the positive side yeah. of the distribution curve as far as ownership is concerned. So roster aside, salary cap situation aside, quarterback situation aside, Atlanta. Uh, and Arthur Blank, I think, are a plus. Hmm. Now, no, you don't agree? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm that was a mm, of agreement to the degree that it matters in football in a way that it does in basketball, not nearly as much. It is an attractive destination. Um, but football players normally go who with who's going to give them the most money. It's not like basketball players where the number is kind of set and then uh, you can kind of force your way to, to a city that makes you happier. Um, so the other jobs that would be available is Washington. You get a top quarterback, another new owner who, uh, well, we don't know much about him. I mean, he owned a basketball team, so maybe he understands how to keep his hands off and he was willing to endure the, the, um, the tankiest tank of all time. So he's patient. Um, the Raiders, there's financial situation out there. That's tough. No quarterback. Um, what are the other jobs? The Chargers, who have a quarterback, but a very a flawed roster. Yeah. So they have the everything. It's like, you know, everything has its yeah. pros and cons. Um, the Chargers, you have the quarterback. You're capped out. The team has a ton of flaws. As you said, the Commanders, you don't have a quarterback, but you have that two, that picket two, and you have a yeah. ton of cap space. That's the most cap space in the NFL. Bad defense, but there's that, that to me is the job where if you are the head coach who wants the blank slate to build a right. team in your image, the Commanders are it yeah. Panthers very difficult situation no that's the last one of all the <laughs> options that's the worst one uh I, I I tend to agree for a litany of reasons that's a really 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 tricky spot the Raiders as you mentioned they got some going on defense there's some good players but they don't have a quarterback um so that uh, you know is a do little you bit take, it might be getting a little too in the weeds but do you take division into consideration or is the assumption like you, or yeah. yeah like the competitive competitiveness of well, the division and the quarterbacks that exist in the division, that, that would pretty attractive. That would be a point in the favor of the Falcons because you yeah, should win this division. Saying. You should win yeah. this division. It's right there. But I think it, it, it all comes back to the quarterback. And I think um, the quarterback and what they do at quarterback is going to be very intertwined with the decision for head coach, the type of coach they bring in, because um, of the way things shook out, I mentioned the commanders are picking at two. It really seems likely the bears are going to take a quarterback. They're still also picking behind two other teams that need quarterbacks in the Patriots and the giants. So it feels like unless Atlanta is picking at eight makes a big move up. And, and one of those teams would have to be willing to make a trade or maybe the Cardinals, if that, if they're so inclined, um, 
they're going to have to look elsewhere. I think, you know, that Justin Fields gets associated with them a lot. That makes a lot of sense to me if the Bears do trade him. Otherwise, you're looking at, you know, like cousins, a Kirk Cousins. Tannehill. Yeah, or yeah. Tannehill or something. Um, I don't know. I, I think if this team, with his current defense, all the young talent and offense, Justin Fields, there's something there. Like the right kind of offensive-minded oh. coach, I think, could do something really uh, – Could that could be a very appealing job. I, I looked at um, a lot of their stats over the past three years over the Arthur Smith uh, tenure, and the offense was up and down. But by EPA, it was the worst offense that they had. How do you add Bijan Robinson and have three years, uh, yeah, to build your roster and somehow get worse at offense? And the one bright spot is they brought in a new defensive coordinator who was a D line coach at the Saints, and they actually got like ridiculously better yeah, like a significant yeah. amount better based on and it wasn't just him like they brought in Calais Campbell and Jesse Bates but it's all a lot the based on them they brought in played well yeah and it's a lot it's based on at least yeah. from my my view is switching defensive philosophy that fit yeah. that fit more with like AJ Terrell and the players that they had there so like that felt to me like um I think Nielsen is his name right that felt to yep. me like uh a good like good coaching so that poor guy yeah. came in did a good job and now he's unemployed well, but that, but that, but well, oh, he's not employed, right? I don't think they've. Oh, I mean, I assume he's kind of employed. No, I well, assume yeah. he's. I would do. I would really try to keep him if I was Atlanta. No, I. So I, I mean, you don't. It's really hard to force coaches onto another coach's staff. So like, it happens, so. I think. Yeah, I know it happens, but I'm. I, I guess I. It's up in the air. You don't yeah. hire the defensive coordinator before you got to hire, hire the head coach. You hire the head coach, and he doesn't like your defensive coordinator, and you got a different problem on your hands. Well, the ideal outcome for Atlanta, in my mind, would be to bring it, to keep him, retain him, find a guy to run the offense, to fix the offense, who wants to work with Justin Fields or Kirk Cousins or whoever they end up going after. And this does feel like a team that really should contend for the playoffs, in part because of the division next year. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be really interesting because, like you said, you, you, your point is correct. Not, no open jobs are good jobs. Yeah. But they're also the best jobs because there's only 32 of these and they very rarely open up. So and, and it's also like hard to predict. Like we all thought the Panthers job, not we all thought I thought the Panthers job was attractive. Yeah, I'm a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was attractive uh, for uh, who was the coach that was there? Um, Steve Wilkes. It was attractive for Steve Wilkes to stay there. Then it got real ugly when they started making all these other decisions. It'd be a lot prettier had they uh, drafted C.J. Stroud right about now, I think. I mean, but that's the thing. The Houston job I didn't think was that attractive, and then yep. they, they found the quarterback, and suddenly everything's different when you find the quarterback. Oh, you win all these games. We're going to talk about the Texans, actually, so I, I won't get into that. Um, still other dominoes to fall. We are on Bill Belichick watch, waiting to see if white smoke comes out of Foxborough. <laughs> uh I don't, I, I truly, I thought it was over. It was gone, but then you get reports that he might be willing to give up GM duties, which I didn't think he would. And I would, I don't want to even get, let's not even speculate. Okay, like okay, I'm going to okay. wait. No, I, I mean, I just that don't think that works, out. but okay. I think the news will be out by uh, later. Okay. In the week, so. right. um, let's do a winner. The Buffalo Bills. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say James Winston, but okay. We can do Buffalo <laughs> I don't even know what to, that's like the perfect week 18 story that. Yeah. I didn't seal Arthur Smith's fate, but when he complained about the fake Neil, that was the ultimate, like uh dead man walking complaint when he got mad at Dennis Allen. Um, okay. The bills. Uh, if I had told you 
before the game that, you know, going into it, I was like, oh, this Miami Dolphins defense, they're so up against it that they would hold the Bills to under 24 points, which they did. Uh, less than that, considering the fact that one of the touchdowns was special teams, I would assume that Miami had won the game. I would have said, wow, the Miami defense held up their end of the bargain and did enough despite all of the injuries. Uh, They did not win the game because the offense struggled. We'll get to that. But I think for uh, right now, it is worth, for me, when I was, I went back and watched uh, Miami's drives in the second half. Cause there's like so few of them. It's actually really quick trying to figure <laughs> out what happened. And there's a few things, but something that really struck me, Dominique, this bill's defense yes. is so impressive. Was that what yes. struck you as well? Cause yes. I, was, I, I was like, Oh my I have God. In plays, my notes. Plays, plays all over the place. There's deep Taron Johnson, Dane Jackson coming in. Uh, Hey, what's his name? Uh, Taylor Rapp having the game of his life. Like all yeah. of the Bills DBs played so freaking well in this game. So I went down a similar path and I have in my notes that I owe the Bills defense an apology because not only did I look yeah. at this game, but it likes it like sparked me to look at a lot of their other games. And like in the past five weeks, they haven't lost a game. They've been undefeated and they've been really great. And it hasn't been uh, like there's sometimes it's a fluky run. It hasn't been fueled by what you would think it was because the, the defensive line's not getting a whole bunch of pressure. They haven't been consistently good against the run. They've been great in pass coverage. And I think there is some like turnover luck that bolsters their their numbers but if you consider that that's what we thought was going to stop this team is that they kept getting injured and they are like down to bare bones in the secondary and that's the the unit that's like carrying them and playing incredibly well Ed Oliver's had some good games here or there but like it's not the defensive front that's getting it done it's the guys in the back end which was shocking to me getting Poyer back and Razul Douglas he got hurt in this game but he should be fine but like he's been playing incredibly well oh benford i found out he's from my hometown he really wow yeah well, randall's randall's down maryland shout out he's playing really well uh he made Ballin. a couple of really impressive plays in this game i i think it, what's so impressive about it uh, to your point like i i didn't write them off completely but when they lost milano and Trey White, I, I I thought, okay, the offense is going to have to carry this team. Certainly not the other way around. And then when you think about the injuries that they had in this game, you lose uh, uh, Dodson, Tyrell, Tyrell Dodson, and and Russell Douglas, who are the guys you have to play part because of the other. Like there there are these compounding injuries at the same positions, and yet to have players come in and play more snaps than before in this game. They played a lot of dime, which you remember last year, this Bill's defense was I think it had like 99% in nickel. They were an entirely nickel defense. Uh, so they come in, you know, some of some of it is because of the injuries. I think some of it is because of the competition and game script, but those three safeties were on the field a lot together. And they were, uh, McDermott was moving them around. And, and this is, again, I, I felt the same way watching them against the Cowboys. They're just so well coached. Yeah. All of their rotations, the way they pass off guys, um, you don't see the kind of busts you see with other teams. I, I, I credit to Sean McDermott because you remember yeah. he, coming into the season, Leslie Frazier left, 
he, the narrative was like, well, Sean McDermott's taking over the defense. Could that backfire? And I think on the season, eighth in EPA per play, second in success rate, sixth in opponent QBR, the results are what they are. This is a big part of why they're such a threat. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say other than my bad, because I've been on Sean McDermott. <laughs> we all been on him for like firing uh, the offensive coordinator midseason and firing, moving on from Leslie Frazier and like their numbers being worse in both situations than those offenses were before. But then you look at over the course of this season and giving all the injuries that they had, like these guys have done an Excellent job. And then we hear his 9-11 speech. It's just like, this guy's a, this guy's well, a damn fool. But he's out They're really working together out there. I mean. <laughs> they're, they're working together out there. I, <laughs> well, he got his point across. Whether they laughed at him or not, they certainly play hard for him. And I think Taron Johnson jumps out to me oh. as a unique exa- example because, like, what you talked about them playing a lot of dime. They're playing a lot of dime, but, like, they make Taron Johnson play linebacker yes <laughs> he's like a cornerback the tfl he had of achan yep yeah Woo. and that was incredible physical play but it's just it's not only making the plays there it's being able to exist there like being able to hold up there and those are the type of mismatches that smart teams look to feast on and that's like what we we're looking at for the cowboys how their small linebackers were getting pushed around they got a damn cornerback who's under 200 pounds he's listed at like 190 something so that means he's probably 180 something playing linebacker and like against 12 personnel like two tight end sets so like being able to have somebody who can hold up like that and still be effective uh in pass coverage like it changes the dynamic of the defense without racking up any stats he um got actually my all pro vote this year for slot um him and yeah but it, it was kind of i waited at the last it was last it was the week 18 game that sort of sealed the deal for me um yeah i mean i didn't think rap could play uh safety the way that he has for like in free safety you know like yeah. i thought oh this he's going there they're gonna put him in the box he'll bang around he, he was out there a man in the back half with hyde like i mean he was and, the, and, the, i mean the, the final play was amazing yeah, him. Yeah, I, it, it seemed like, to your point, it seemed like a smart play more than it, it seemed like uh, an awesome athleticism play. And when you're down injuries and, that, I mean, those are the type of plays that you have to make. You can't make mistakes. And he seemed to anticipate giving the time of the game and the coverage what was going to happen. Uh, and he got there, he got the pick, and he was, like, hurt off of it, too. But, like, that was that's how it feels like all of them uh, are making these type of plays that you can't that are a result of them being completely bought in and preparation and which is tied into them receive they're being well coached and they are receiving the coaching well and applying it on the field, which is an entirely different step. Why does the Asian guy have to make a smart play, not an athletic play? <laughs> can't, why can't point. it be athletic? <laughs> my my apologies to Taylor Rapp and, and to me. A lot of Kimes film study. Did he he must have ran the numbers on that play? I Wrote apologize. out his, little, his pocket calculator. Calculated the right angle to take. Uh, actually, that play is probably a good pivot point to the wolf of the Miami Dolphins because that play really um, encapsulated some of the struggles that they had. Um, it was a bad choice by Tua Tungabella, who had the opportunity to drive the field and win the game. Um, it was a... Th- 
it wouldn't be a okay this is it wouldn't be a horrible choice if you're Josh Allen and I think that's part of well it did I'm just saying like that's a very right. difficult throw you have to make with a tremendous amount of velocity yeah and he can't make up velocity velocity so he makes up for it with anticipation and in yeah way, normally yeah, yeah. Yeah, normally in a good way, but I mean everything. There's always trade-offs with everything. There's a good with the bad. When you do it well with anticipation, it's good. You throw it before your receiver breaks and not before the safety breaks, it's bad because the safety got to beat on it before uh, the receiver did. So, yeah, and we saw in, through the course of this game where he's throwing those anticipation throws that were getting on Tyreek Hill, and sometimes he'd catch them, sometimes he was surprised by them, sometimes they were, and he would drop yeah. them, and sometimes they were inaccurate. But, like, that's the – that's the offense we were raving about early in the season. And you and I like through conversations on here kind of stumbled upon the uniqueness of this offense because of Tua's head injury history and the, the weakness of their offensive line. Like they had to manufacture these anticipation motion weirdo throws to be able to attack deep down the field. And it worked. And then it's not working as consistently as uh, it could in the past. And so once the, Bills figured out how to stop those like outside rushing attacks. The Dolphins offense, especially without Jalen out there, they seem really limited. Yeah. uh, Which, by the way, not having Jalen Waddle out there, I think is part of the. So that play, um, that final play, the interception, the Bills were in cover two man which the Dolphins face a fair amount of. Tua actually has more attempts against cover two man than any quarterback in the NFL, part because he's not a threat to run. You can't play that against a mobile quarterback. Um, You also, though, it's a lot easier to play it, and the Bills played it a few times in this game, ran it a few times, when you only have Tyree Kill to worry about in terms of like the, you know, like a guy who's just going to obliterate man coverage. When Waddle's out there, it's a little bit of a different story. And, And his absence certainly affected the Miami offense in a way that can't be ignored, but it is, it gets harder and harder to feel good about this offense. When you see how, um, not to feel good about, I still think they can put up points on a lot of teams, but it is the kind of thing where like, Oh man, if you aren't successful on first down on like three and you only have four drives, the whole, you, you, the whole thing can get kind of thrown off in a way that it wasn't this game. Actually, I mean, you know, I saw afterwards, um, Mike McDaniel got some criticism for not running the ball more in the second half. They barely ran it. But when you went back, there were, again, there were like four drives. And, um, in the last drive, they're, they have no timeouts. Yeah, no timeouts. <laughs> yeah. The, I, these were all the first downs they had in the second half. First one, they had a toss to HN for five yards. The, uh, Bills were in single high. They were in single high versus, and then the second one, the same thing. So they tried to throw to Hill. Uh, they got a penalty. And then they had the TFL on HN versus again single high. And then and this there was only like literally one other first down where I thought maybe they could have run it. It was an incompletion to Hill. I think it was a drop. And the Dolphins were or the Bills were in cover two that time. So potentially they could have run the ball there. But my point is this: like they just didn't have opportunities. They fell behind. And this doesn't feel like a team or perhaps better set a quarterback who is going to bail you out of those situations. Yeah, Tyreek Hill was off the field, right, on that final play, that interception. Final play, he was off the field. And I, so, yeah. I think so, that, so, yeah. that, Both him and Waddle, it's a lot easier to play cover two. Yeah, <laughs> it, um, it changes the dynamics. So if you're a safety and Tyreek Hill's on your side, 
I know they're calling it cover two man, but it's really turning into double team Tyreek Hill, and it doesn't really matter. Two is going to throw it to him anyway on most of those occasions throughout the course of the game, and he's going to get he's still going to be open. But when he's off the field, it, it reminds me in this. Uh, it's not completely true because the offenses are very different. The Shanahan um, offense in San Francisco and what they're doing in Miami, they're from the same like route. But when you watch them, they're very different because they have different skill players. But it reminds me somewhat of that in that when you take the special players out, I feel like scheme can beat zone, but man coverage, you need players and whether it's two man or man to man. And so when you are in situations where you don't have the threat of the run in the pass, you don't really have the other dynamic to, to kind of pull the defense apart, then it's going to be tough. And that's what happened in this game. And that's what's happened to them a lot this season as Tyreek Hill has gotten hurt and missed a couple games and also yeah. not been full strength. And as Waddles gotten hurt and missed a couple games and HN is in and out of the lineup. It's a lot like the 49ers in that once you get them, uh, out of their uh, two-way go scheme that that's yeah. unbeatable when you have a smart quarterback, then you have to have special guys. If the special guys aren't special, then the offense is pretty pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, we kind of papered over Josh Allen in this game. It's the same. I mean, what's new to say? It's the same stuff, you know? It's yeah. the highs, the lows, lows, the highs. But, you know, the plays he made in the end, not just the scramble, which was very funny. Uh, funny because... He's just so much bigger than the DBs. <laughs> he just sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's, the third and 13 is just like, that's... What are you going to do? That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Who did he run over? Uh, it, maybe it was Kohu or something. It was yeah. one of the Miami well, DBs, I mean, and I was like, he, what are you... What are you Kohu was there, but he didn't run Kohu over because Kohu didn't exactly stand That's in it. That's him. it. Kohu yeah. was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was in front of it. He kind of st- stepped to the side and did a little grab. Like, nah. And he, like, ran through a tackle from Christian Wilkins and I think one of the linebackers, too. Like, yeah, if I'm Kohu and Christian Wilkins can't bring you down and another linebacker can't bring you down, you down what i'm doing here and well but this is i think to kind of bring these two discussions together you and i were talking about how um you can't play cover two man against you can't play it against josh Allen. there's just simply no way in a way that you can against miami especially when one of the two speedy wide receivers on the field and you know great offenses are all about okay what can we make defenses not do like what like how much can we dictate them yes and there are things that miami and buffalo are totally different in that regard when all the miami players are healthy there's a lot of things you can't do on deep playing man coverage is really dangerous when those guys are healthy um but when they're not suddenly it's back on the table and then you can start taking away some of their core concepts with buffalo because you have a guy at quarterback who will himself not only, yes, make boneheaded errors, but also solve anything purely through his own physical willpower. It just doesn't affect defense or I mean, so probably defenses don't have those types of answers against them. Um, even if I, they're not like, you know, entirely consistent on offense. Right. Um, and it's about, this just popped into my head. And, and as I was talking about the different players uh, give you different tools frankly, to take away or to attack different defenses. And we don't often take into account how the quarterback's skill set is a tool. And in Josh Allen's way, it's not just him running the ball. It's the point that you made earlier about Tua not having the arm strength and having to anticipate. 
like there are windows and passes. And we see it a lot with Dak Prescott over the middle where there's like, actually, that seam ain't open. But Dak will throw it open because he has the accuracy and arm strength and anticipation to do it. Josh Allen has the same thing. So there are some coverages that you can run and you think are going to work. But because he has it's like having another player or a, a, a guy that can't you can't cover in man coverage or a guy that you can't leave isolated because he doesn't have to get as open or uh, or get open as early or anticipate. It's just a, a different in the fractions of the second that it takes off. If you think about someone, how many times you see on Sunday a ball just go over a, receipt, a DB's hand or the DB touches it. That's frankly the difference in having real legit yeah. Josh Allen level arm strength and not. I, I, I don't think it can be overstated um, how much his legs matter right now at this point in the season. I mean, we sh- he should be talked about in terms of like the impact on defenses, the way we talk about Lamar and Fields, yeah. because it completely changes the way you can play them. And it is a, we've seen this time and time again with the Bills, they will lean on it more and more and more in these gotta have it moments. Um he has to obviously stay healthy and then he has to knock off some of the decisions. But uh it it is it is the great equalizer on offense. It's brutal. And it's a shame because just to wrap it up, the Dolphins defense did enough in this game. Like they were I mean they just lost Andrew Van Ginkle and Jerome Baker and they are really really suffering from attrition right now in a way that's super unlucky. Uh, and yet they, they, they did enough. Christian Wilkins had a huge play. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a bummer for them because uh, yeah, it, it was very winnable. Josh Allen and, and Lamar Jackson are in the same draft. And I think for a lot of reasons, we think about them in similar ways, but since we already talked about Asian stereotypes, it is kind of fun watching Josh Allen do all the things that people say that the black quarterback couldn't do, like making the decisions and choosing the run rather than throwing the ball while Lamar Jackson is very much the opposite. When I'm watching Lamar, I'm like, I uh, wouldn't mind you tucking that a little more often, but he's going to sit in the pocket. Whereas Josh Allen is like, he knew on that third and 13 that I'm not going to throw this ball because the incomplete keeps the clock running. I am running this thing as soon as possible. He, also- he continues to make those type of decisions. Josh Allen as a runner, you can tell he likes it yeah. <laughs> in a way <laughs> that yeah. um, we're going to talk about CJ Stroud, who I, like he can run, he doesn't want to run. There even Lamar to some extent. Yeah. Like at the end of a big Lamar run, you can tell he's an incredible runner. His feel for um, like tempoing and and yeah. his ability to avoid, evade contact, amazing. But he doesn't like look juiced at the end of it he just have you know like he's just kind of like okay i did that now we're good whereas yeah. josh allen there was a moment in that game and the big scramble where like there were like two miami dbs squaring him up and i was like oh his brain right now is literally like every neuron is firing because he's so happy that he gets to, <laughs> he gets to we, i don't know if there was I don't know if it was talking to you on this show, but yeah, like Josh Allen, when they say that guy's a football player, like, yeah, Josh Allen's a D tackle with a real strong arm. Like he is looking to bash into things. Like he wants to play football. And it's the funny thing, the point you made about Lamar Jackson is true. Is like, I remember early in his career, it felt like he wanted, or it, it felt like he was excited to make a play with his legs. I don't know how to properly explain it, but you're seeing the same thing where every time he runs the ball, it's kind of like, eh, 
fine. Yeah, I guess even if it's a long run, it's like fine. I guess it's not where he's running. He's spinning past people like in that Bengals game and running to through the end zone with his hands in the air like that. Lamar Jackson, he is matured past that individual, I guess. Yes. And Josh Allen is the closest thing we have to a human monster truck. <laughs> Perfect. He, he's it. the grave digger. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of graves, we got more losers. Let's take a quick break, come back, and uh, bury the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ugh. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Okay. Jacksonville Jaguars. Started out the season, eight wins, everything seemed to be set up for them, and then it all went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, there's just so much to unpack there. I guess I, I, this Jags Titans game, I watched closely. It was like the only really important game on at the moment. <laughs> and then, and then the morning block, um, what struck you most watching them this week with the opportunity to clinch as being like the biggest failure of this season or this team? Mm, the biggest failure. I mean, I, I think, It's hard to focus just on this week, yeah. but I will say overall, the offense has been a disappointment. I think the D-line's disappearance is really embarrassing, uh, given that they were the strength of this team. But I would say that we thought, given that they had all the weapons that they thought they wanted, they had a, a tight end uh, and Calvin Ridley, who at least was pitched as a true number one. And we think has the ability to be true. Number one, um, Etienne in the backfield and Trevor Lawrence, a uh, second year removed from a bad coach. And with Doug Peterson, who we believe to be a good coach, I think that inconsistency and it felt like Evan Ingram was like their leading receiver. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but over the course of the year, when I watched this week, <laughs> he was this week too. Yeah. When I yeah. watched their games, I'm like, 
Is this offense built around Evan Ingram or is it built around taking deep shots to uh, your little speedy receiver? And it's like the offense doesn't seem scary. It doesn't seem consistent. And it feels like they beat themselves more than uh, is acceptable for a serious team and and football and a serious team that uh, has experience. Like, and these people aren't new. (laughs) People been around. It's not a it's not a, a rookie quarterback or or uh, young receivers like in Green Bay. It's just a mess. Yeah, I think that's what so, would be so frustrating if I was a Jags fan, not just that the offense looked so good at the end of last season and it seemed like things were trending in the right direction your quarterback was awesome to finish the year, but that there's so many, there's like a lot of small things wrong with this team that added up to this meltdown. So it's not like you can point to one side of the ball or one unit or one coach and say, well, that's the problem. You have quarterback who made some really bad decisions and struggled at times with accuracy, frankly, in the yeah. second half of the season. You had offensive line that was completely substandard. Issues with the pass catchers, losing Kirk, I think, you know, definitely hurt. But Ridley, ultimately, like, Lawrence and him never seemed to get on the same page over the course of the season. So many mistakes, penalties, drops, uh, issues in the red zone, uh, play calling issues, sequencing, you have a different play caller. And then defensively, um, a pass rush that didn't show up when it counted. Yes. Uh, I mean, against the Titans, the tackling was just abysmal. I mean, Derek, they, they, like it was like they were committed to letting Derrick Henry have like the goodbye game he deserved, which I'm, <laughs> I, I love Derrick Henry. I'm happy for him, but he was running through them uh they were stacking the box and it did not matter and if you watch the titans this year you know that's not been the case so it's not like this is not the titans offense a few years ago where that could be excused it was unexcusable and i think it's hard because i I don't think doug peterson's gonna lose his job but it does feel like they need to change a lot of things. I don't know how I feel about lawrence i need to like step back from the season because he he was he really struggled particularly in the second half of the year, but he did show so much last year that you're not, I'm not, you know, uh, kind of coming down hard either way on it right now. I do think he deserves a fair amount of criticism though. Yeah. I mean, he was injured too. And I can, he was injured some of the season and I feel like they had a drop issue as bad as the chiefs at one point in this season. It felt like early in the season. I remember watching Trevor Lawrence games and thinking, damn, Zay, get your feet down or like damn, yeah. Calvin catch, catch the ball. Like it, it felt like it wasn't all on him through the course of this. And you point out the offensive line. The thing about uh, Trevor Lawrence, and maybe it's partially because I know who he was in college and he looks the part. He's big, tall, strong arm quarterback. But I see what Trevor Lawrence can be through the course of almost every game that they play. Like, damn, there it is. There it is. And there's no reason why it can't be consistent because he's not doing when he does look good. It's not some complex situation. It's like fluid. It's comfortable. And it's like, yeah, I know Trevor Lawrence can be this guy. Why he can't do it consistently when as at this point, he should be able to level out that play. Yeah, that's beyond me. And you're right. It's going to take some time postseason to look at who all to put the blame on, but they're not going to move on from either of those guys. So they better figure out how to make it work at this point. Yeah. I think job number one is probably the offensive line. 
Um, and then play caller, I think they'll probably, I don't know if Peterson will take back play calling or whatnot, but it feels like a change there might be needed. Um, okay, on the flip side, the team that won the division, the Houston Texans. Oh, yeah. I uh, The Texans and the Packers are kind of like the good vibes, the like equivalent of each other, I feel like, in either conference headed into this thing. Now, they're not the, we talked to last week about the team that nobody wants to play, but yeah. You know, they both have exciting, fun, young quarterbacks and good These coaching. Qualify as, as nothing to lose teams. Like, I feel like. Maybe yeah, that's I like that. Yeah. Yeah. They both. I would say um, I'm more envious of Texans and Packers fans than any fan base right now, because this is awesome. You didn't. No one thought you'd be in the playoffs. Nobody knew if your young quarterback would be awesome. They're both awesome. You have exciting young players. So it does feel like, yes, your, to your point, you go into this postseason with like zero pressure. You're just kind of playing with house money. It's fun. And it is so much fun watching these quarterbacks. I mean, we'll, we'll do Houston first and then we'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, um, we'll get to the. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I it, like. I it's obvious that this team's not quite quite there yet exactly there to you know like I don't have them for the Super Bowl or whatever but um watching them like I don't really think Stroud has like I don't know limitations I mean we, we were texting a little bit about some things that yeah. he's not been perfect on we can get to that but he can make every throw and he really looked, I mean, I, watching them when they had, you know, when he, when he, when they had to have like the gotta have it drive against Indianapolis to win Dominic, I felt completely confident that he would do yeah. it, which is yeah. surreal. I feel the same <laughs> way watching Jordan Love, by the way, which is crazy. Yeah. I, I felt confident that he would, I was enjoying it. I mean, you have to at least mention the the pass that he threw that we all thought was him throwing it away after evading a couple of sacks and Nico Collins gets under it. Nico Collins uh, is not considered a true number one, but he sure looked like one and played like oh, one yes. this season. And especially in that prime time, kind of got to have it game. He looked incredible. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's fun to be in this spot. It's fun to surprise everybody. It was fun watching uh D'Amico Ryan's like get emotional in in the hallway by himself. Like this is it does feel like the feel good story that we all can get behind and we can all enjoy and appreciate. And the defense was so much better. Like Will Anderson yeah. was better than we anticipated. They they their defense got better as the season came along. Their corners played uh well Stingley played up to his Cal caliber and uh and Nelson I think played better than we anticipated. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty good and his team has come a long way and they're young and they are fun. And he's doing this without a rushing attack. Crazy. Like uh Stroud's doing this without a rushing attack, without the threat of that necessarily and without all of his great receivers like he's down to just Nico Collins. Like they started the year with much more with a, a lot more names and that you could respect. And obviously tank Dell was coming on and pushing Nico as another, like a, a one B and then he got hurt. But uh, are we done doing the fun stuff yet? I really wish they had tank Dell again. I mean, we don't, we're not going to preview the matchup with the Browns, 
but it would certainly help, especially given all the the man coverage that Cleveland uh, that Cleveland plays. The he run game is like was he, yeah. he? I think I saw that he was uh, C.A. Stroud just to drive home this point that he is not just a great rookie quarterback, but he's really good. Is that I think air yards per attempt? Uh, he might have been like. First or second, like he's in the top three. I think it's like him, Lamar, and Baker Mayfield. It's in some order. And like he's going down the field, attacking down the field. And Baker is doing it with not nearly the same amount of success, but he's having a good season. And Lamar obviously is Lamar. I think what's remarkable about CJ Stroud, to your point about the air yards, is when you look at those kinds of charts that the Shanahan quarterbacks, Shanahan offenses tend to thrive in. You see his name with like Tua and Brock Purdy and, you know, the the guys um, golf to some extent. It's a little different. Uh, Like, oh, he's so good on play action. He's good good throwing between between the numbers. Guys are open, you know, there and they're getting yards after the catch and, and this and that. But he's also good at everything. And I'm not saying those guys aren't in not looping them all together. But, you know, typically with those offenses, we tend to say, okay, this quarterback is like a product of the scheme. He is also excellent throwing outside the numbers. He is excellent under pressure on third down. Like, so it's like you put him in this offense that I think is really, really smart and really well calibrated to some of the players. I don't think the run game is quite clicking to your point, but he elevates it in a way that is visible. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, like what happens when things go off schedule a little bit, when your run game's not clicking when they're taking away the middle of the field, when it's second and 15 and the Texans have a quarterback who I, I, I don't think needs everything to work, you know, and he doesn't need things to stay on schedule. Um, yeah. Not you don't just, think, you know, like that's know, the thing yeah. is like there are, there are quarterbacks who have had a lot of success who we still have not answered that question for. We answered that for him already. We've seen it multiple times through the course of this season that he can, like he, he's while the offense I think is good in helping him and the players around him are helping him and the coaches helping him. He also, I think is elevating all of them more than they are uh, for, for him so far. I was trying to look up uh, air yards per attempt. If I saw it for play action, is it still the same? Hmm. The, his areas of off of play action. Well, this yeah, he's is- number, he's number one for air yards per attempt. Is that is Flacco counted in that? Because I gotta think Joe Flacco's up there. This is like the play action Super Bowl, him, the him versus. You know, one thing that did strike me in this game, not to get too in the weeds, but um, most of the play action they were running, and they've mixed this up, was him under center. And Singletary is much better running the football under center than in the gun. It's not great. Still, it's it's a really dismal run game, and he gets contacted behind the line of scrimmage a lot. But if they can get that under center play action going, I think that'll help the run game yeah. too against Cleveland. Black Flacco does not qualify, um, okay. unfortunately, uh, based on whatever parameters I put in. Controls. Um, all right, let's wrap with the Packers. Yep, I'm, CJ Stroud is number two. Sorry, ten point nine if you put it for play action, air, air yards <laughs> per attempt, and number one if you just leave it normal. If you take play action off, uh, hold on, we're loading. Got a spinny. Got a spinny. CJ Shroud is eight for uh is eighth with eight yards per air yard per attempt if it's not play action at all. Play action's kind of back. 
this year. I feel like it, well, I feel like it the it kind of waned in importance for a couple of years and I feel like this year all of the really good offenses use it. Um Packers use a lot of play action. Let's wrap with the Packers. I'm I'm done. Jordan Love is it. They got to pay him. He's <laughs> like I, you know, and I've liked him all season. We've talked about him all season. There's been some ups and downs over, along the way, but watching him against Chicago, it's such a unique and and it's not too dissimilar from Stroud. It's such a unique combination of watching a quarterback who's young and plays like he's young and is backfooting balls just because he can and is just having fun out there, but also so controlled. He looks like he has total control of the offense. He doesn't panic. He looks like he trusts his protection. He trusts guys to get open. He trusts the scheme around him and um, he has the arm talent to execute upon it. I I'm just, I've just been so impressed by him the last second. I mean, all season long, but these last couple of weeks, he is playing as good as any quarterback in football right now. So yes, Jordan loves being great. Um, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how great he is. I think over the next several years, he had a rough start to his season and then he just like blacked out and he has some highlight throws that are amazing, that were so good. I'm thinking of that one touchdown that was like a tight, super tight window throw that it was so good that it felt like it must have been a mistake, but maybe it wasn't. Like there's, was it against the Colts maybe? I don't know why I'm thinking it was against a blue team. But anyway, you'll, you'll, I'll find it and send it to you. But he threw like this crazy touchdown pass. Oh, it was against the, the Lions. But anyway, we'll talk about that. You're talking about Thanksgiving, yes. yeah. Yes, where it was Doesn't like a slant. It was ridiculous. It really feels like he's like the usher, like, watch this, watch this before every pass. That's way too online to me to say on a podcast, but everybody who's listening understands it. Um, I think I kind of, you know, I'm a player guy. I want to talk about the players, but the scheme is great. Guys are open. Yeah. Like Brian Gutekunst. Oh, let's do it. Yes. Let's do this. Yo, this draft. What? I think this could potentially go down as like a Saints. You remember the year the Saints had that yeah. crazy draft? And what's incredibly remarkable about that statement is their first pick is arguably been the least impressive. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, yeah. he did have a stack in this game. But, I mean, good the, Lord. Like, and I, I mean, you take it back to the Aaron Rodgers yeah. days while we were – and you and I have talked about this before. While Aaron Rodgers was – like complaining through back channels about not getting a number one receiver. This entire time that defense was loaded, though not performing, it was loaded. The offensive line was incredible. And they had receivers and two running backs. Like this whole time while he's winning MVPs, that roster was was loaded. They made this transition. Brian Gutekunst marshaled this transition in impressive fashion right onto the quarterback. And I guess Mark Murphy too. Like, I, I mean, he's a, he's a funny looking guy that Mark Murphy, but he sure has overseen the process of going from one quarterback to another quarterback to another quarterback. Like, gosh, I, he don't spend much time like worried about his fits or his hair, but that man knows how to run a organization that is owned by the people. I mean, okay, so after Van Ness, you had Musgrave, who looked good, got hurt, the tight end. So, again, the first two picks haven't really uh, – Musgrave did look good. He got hurt. Jaden Reed, awesome player. Awesome player. That, oh, my gosh. Um, he was amazing against Chicago. Uh, his 
I mean, production, his vision on the field. He's got that kind of running back instincts, great hands. Tucker Craft at tight end in the third round. He's been he's a really good blocker. He's been so good as, as a pass catcher. Dontavian Wicks, uh, fifth round. Uh, the route running you see out of him. Carl Brooks had huge plays in this game. Uh, the defensive tackle, uh, six rounder, Carrington Valentine in the seventh round. I mean, they got the Valentine, the Valentine. I mean, this is crazy. Like, it's banger after banger after banger. Yeah, Brian Gutekunst. Yeah, I mean, I he's mean, done a good job. Take a bow, I mean. dude, because I actually, the stats people sent this out. And it was, I was like amazed. Some of the, you know, some of this is just Jordan Love being amazing, but um, the Packers this year have 3,642 receiving yards by guys in their first and second year. That is the most in the modern NFL. Second most in history. You go back to 1961. That's crazy. Like oh, Goody doing his thing. Goody man, balling out here. I see you, Goody. Goody main. Let's wrap really quickly. Uh, Packers Texans. Who do you who would you say is more likely to pull off the upset in the first round? The Packers go to Dallas. Mike McCarthy revenge game. The Texans face the Browns at home. Joe Flacco, but also that Browns defense. That's very really tough. So like we camps, of we um. I, I, I was watching the Stroud stuff and I texted you earlier about him struggling in man coverage. And of course I, I can't teach you anything. I remember when you first came to ESPN, I used to teach you things. You remember those days? All, teach me things all the time. It, we just happened to be thinking alike about that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, he struggled against man coverage. If there's a, a weakness for him right now, that is it beating man coverage. You know what? And that's not just about Stroud. that's the offense yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Really. It's like yeah. the guys aren't. Yeah. Exactly. It's the it's the style of offense and it's also the personnel in the offense. You're challenging them. You can't scheme. As we talked about earlier, you can't scheme your way out of out of man to man. Like you just got to beat somebody. Yes. Uh, and CJ also hasn't been incredibly accurate in those situations. Like his um his accuracy can improve. I'll say that. But he's been great. Um, so that's scary for me, for him. But the question is, how good is the Browns offense going to be in that game? And uh, I don't know. Like if you if you catch the ones that he throws to you, it, it might be a tough game. The other side is Dak's gonna score. Dak's gonna move the ball and put up numbers against this um surprisingly bad. I guess it shouldn't be surprising because it happens every year. But this uh not very good uh Packers defense. Uh, how's Jordan Love gonna do against the pass rush? And Stephon Gilmore seems to think that he's seems to be healthy enough to play. That's going to make it tougher. So I guess in my my crude analysis, I think the the matchup is a little tougher for Jordan Love and the Packers to go to Dallas. I agree, yeah. So even though I think CJ, we might get a we might get a look at CJ having a bad game. I think there's a a better chance that they pull off the fourth quarterback. spring quarterback I mean, upset yeah. of Joe Flacco yeah. than what we see in um yes. Dallas. We shall see. Um, well, I'll be previewing that game at length later this week with Bill Barnwell and maybe Dominique Foxworth. Maybe I'll yeah. join your show and do it. I'm, I'm free. Ooh, I would love to. Thank you. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. You can check this uh, episode out on YouTube at youtube.com slash at Mina Kimes. 
Uh, and we'll be back back with more soon.